Turn in your Bibles to John chapter 5. We are in the next week in Epiphany. Remember, Epiphany means literally shine a light on, and we're shining a light on Jesus. We're bringing him into focus. We're looking at these different aspects about him. And so today, we're going to get these two stories, and what's interesting about these is we're going to get to see people respond poorly to Jesus. Up until now, we've seen no response like the, at the wedding at Cana where they didn't know it was him, or Nicodemus where we didn't hear anything about him, or we saw a really positive response last week with the woman at the well and with the Samaritans. This week, we're going to look at two different stories where people don't respond well to Jesus at all, and we're going to see what that has to say about us. So read along with me, John chapter 5. We're going to read the whole chapter. Sometime later, Jesus went up to Jerusalem for one of the Jewish festivals, now there is in Jerusalem near the Sheep Gate a pool, which in Aramaic is, Aramaic is called Bethsaida, and which is surrounded by five covered colonnades. Here a great number of disabled people used to lie, the blind, the lame, the paralyzed. One who had been there, one who had been an invalid for 38 years was there. When Jesus saw him lying there and learned that he had been in this condition for a long time, he asked him, do you want to get well? Sir, the invalid replied, I have no one to help me into the pool when the water is stirred. While I'm trying to get in, someone else goes down ahead of me. Then Jesus said to him, get up, pick up your mat and walk. At once the man was cured. He picked up his mat and walked. The day on which which this took place was a Sabbath. And so the Jewish leaders said to the man who had been healed, it is the Sabbath. The law forbids you to carry your mat. But he replied, well, the man who made me well said to me, pick up your mat and walk. So they asked him, who is this fellow who told you to pick up your mat and walk? Now the man who had been healed had no idea who it was, for Jesus had slipped away into the crowd that was there. Later, Jesus found him in the temple and said to him, see, you are well again. Stop sinning or something worse may happen to you. The man went away and told the Jewish leaders that it was Jesus who had made him well. So, because Jesus was doing these things on the Sabbath, the Jewish leaders began to persecute him. In his defense, Jesus said to them, My father is always at work to this very day, and I too am working. For this reason, they tried all the more to kill him. Not only was he breaking the Sabbath, but he was even calling God his own father, making himself equal with God. Jesus gave them this answer. Very truly, I tell you, the son can do nothing by himself. He can do only what he sees the father doing, because whatever the father does, the son also does. For the father loves the son and shows him all he does. Yes, and he will show him even greater works than these, so that you will be amazed. For just as the father raises the dead and gives them life, even so the son gives life to whom he is pleased to give it. Moreover, the father judges no one, but has entrusted all judgment to the son, that all may honor the son just as they honor the father. Whoever does not honor the son does not honor the father who sent him. Very truly, I tell you, whoever hears my words and believes him who sent me has eternal life and will not be judged, but is crossed over from death to life. Very truly, I tell you, a time is coming and has now come when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God and those who hear will live. For as the Father has life in himself, so he has granted the Son also to have life in himself. And he has given him authority to judge because he is the Son of Man. Do not be amazed at this. For a time is coming when all who are in their graves will hear his voice and come out. Those who have done what is good will rise to live and those who have done what is evil will rise to be condemned. By myself, I can do nothing. I judge only as I hear and my judgment is just. For I seek not to please myself, but him who sent me. Now, if I testify about myself, my testimony is not true. There's another who testifies in my favor, and I know that his testimony about me is true. You have sent to John, and he has testified to the truth. 
Not that I accept human testimony, but I mention it so that you may be saved. John was a lamp that burned and gave light, and you chose for a time to enjoy his light. I have testimony weightier than that than John. For the works that the Father has given me to finish, the very works that I'm doing, testify that the Father has sent me. And the Father who sent me has himself testified concerning me. But you've never heard his voice, nor seen his form, nor does his word dwell in you, for you do not believe the one he sent. You study the scriptures diligently because you think that in them you have eternal life. These are the very scriptures that testify about me, yet you refuse to come to me to have life. I do not accept glory from human beings, but I know you. I know that you do not have the love of God in your hearts. I've come in my Father's name, and you do not accept accept me. But if someone else comes in his own name, you will accept him. How can you believe since you accept glory from one another, but do not seek the glory that comes from the only God? Do not think that I will accuse you before the Father. Your accuser is Moses, on whom your hopes are set. If you believed Moses, you would believe me, for he wrote about me. But since you do not believe what Moses wrote, how are you going to believe what I say? So, two stories, one about a healing and one about teaching and how people respond to it. We get this first story where Jesus is in the city of Jerusalem. There's this pool. Your Bible may have a footnote or it may explain something about this. There's a legend that this pool, the water will get all stirred up and if you go down in the water, you'll be healed. And that's a very common thing in the ancient world. This idea of pools where a God will come and stir up the water and you can be healed. And so there's all these people who are sick around the pool. And Jesus picks out this one guy and asks him this really interesting question. Do you want to get well? It's a yes or no question. The guy doesn't give him a yes or no answer. The guy seems to sort of take it as an accusation, kind of like, hey, buddy, why aren't you well? And he's like, ah, I'm trying, you know, I try and get down in the water when it's stirred, I want to, but it's not my fault. I don't have anybody to help me. I don't, you know, it doesn't tell us what his issue is. Maybe he's lame or something like that. He's like, I I, I can't, I want to, but somebody has to help me. I can't do it. And boom, Jesus just looks at him and says, get up, get up, take your mat, let's go, go. And it says immediately it happened. Immediately the guy is healed. And how does he respond to being healed. It doesn't really look like he responds well. Like he doesn't know who Jesus is. There's other stories where Jesus heals people and it says things like they're hanging on him, right? Or they're going along and they're there with Jesus. They're jumping up and down and they're, they're praising God. This guy apparently just gets up and walks off. He doesn't even know who Jesus is or Jesus has just walked back off into the crowd. He, he, there doesn't appear to be any gratitude there. He doesn't know who this guy is who healed him. And then when he's asked about it, he's confronted because the the, the Jewish leaders of the time have a rule that you can't carry anything. Now, we'll talk about that in a minute. That's not an Old Testament rule. That's just a law in their world. You can't carry anything on the Sabbath, which for them is Saturday. And here's this guy carrying his mat home, and they're like, hey, buddy, uh, you can't do that. You're not allowed to carry things on the Sabbath. That's against the law. What does the guy say? What are the first words out of his mouth? He told me to do it. That guy, the one who healed me, he told me to do it. It's not my, just like when Jesus said, you know, do you want to get well? He's like, hey, it's not my fault. Hey, you're carrying your mat. Why are you doing that? It's not my fault. It's his fault. He told me to do it. He throws Jesus under the bus. And then Jesus finds him later and warns him. Like something's going on with this guy. Like, um, hey, this is not a good road. You need to get off this road. 
right? Something bad is gonna happen to you if you keep this up. And the guy takes off and goes and tells the authorities. Like he just could have kept his mouth shut. He goes and tells them, oh, now I know. The, the, the guy who told me to do the thing that's wrong, I know who he is, this is his name. And so that sets in motion this second story and this second group of people. Now, now it's the authorities. Before it was this guy being healed. Now it's the authorities responding to Jesus and they're mad at him. They're mad at him because he's just told somebody to do what is wrong on the Sabbath. Now again, the law, the Old Testament does not say you can't carry anything. The Old Testament just says don't work on the Sabbath. And the example it gives is don't go get firewood and don't light a fire and cook. And so that like getting firewood, that's a guy's job and cooking is a girl's job. And so he's saying to both people, hey, don't work. And in fact, he gets really emphatic about that. He's like, guys, you don't work. Your wives don't work. Your slaves don't work. Your animals don't work. Nobody works. It's a day off for everybody. But as you go through, like, we don't get any many, many examples of that. We're not told, though, this is working and this isn't. The only two examples we have in the scripture of people getting in trouble for breaking this rule is one guy who goes and gets firewood, which it says not to do, and he gets in trouble, and then merchants who are setting up their stalls to sell on Saturday, on the Sabbath. They're told not to do that. Yeah, I get that. If you're a merchant selling, that's, you're probably working. You shouldn't be doing that. But over time, as we are so wont to do, we kind of like, okay, what does it mean to work? Well, it could mean this, it could mean that. And so there's all these rules that have gotten added. You can't carry anything, that would be working. Doctors aren't allowed to heal people on the Sabbath unless it's it's life-threatening. Like if you're just bleeding, rub some dirt in it. We'll sew it up tomorrow. Not a big deal. You you can't walk more than a mile because that would be working. We've decided what work means. One of the things they've decided work means is to carry something. Now you're working. And so these guys come to Jesus and they're like, hey, buddy, what are you doing telling people to do what is wrong on the Sabbath? And look how Jesus answers them. My father is always at his work to this very day, and I too am working. Now that is not the way I would have answered them. If you came to me and said, hey, Jeff, you just taught people that it's okay to carry loads on the Sabbath, and that's wrong, I would tell you why I'm right. Here's why you can carry things on the Sabbath. That's not in the law. You guys made that up at some point. The law doesn't say you can't carry things. Like, don't don't put your burdens on other people. I would argue that I'm right and they're wrong. And Jesus says to them, those rules don't apply to me because they don't apply to God. And now they're not mad at him. They want to kill him (laughs) because he's just said he's God. He's just equated himself with deity. You know, people will say, oh, Jesus never claimed to be God. His followers added that, you know, who knows how many hundreds of years later. Yes, he did. He claimed to be God all the time. He just did it in ways that they understood. You know, if we were doing it today, we'd have a press conference and Oprah would have a big show and she'd interview Jesus and there'd be a book tour. That's the way we do this. You know, so, so Jesus, tell us, we really want to know. Our listeners really want to know, are, are you God? Well, yes, Oprah, I am. Right? And we would go from there. That's the way you do things in our world. In his world, wow. You want to tell somebody you, you think you're God? You tell them that the law doesn't apply to me because it doesn't apply to God. 
and I'm God's son. And now, oh boy, are they angry at him that Jesus has basically said to them, yes, I am Jehovah. That's why I can do anything I want on the Sabbath. Those are my rules. You have to obey them. I don't have to. And Jesus begins now in verse 19 to teach to these guys, and and I doubt they wanted to hear it. But notice what he says in verse 19. Very truly, I tell you, we talked about this with Nicodemus. This is a Hebrew saying, amen, amen. It means, hey, listen up. This is important, right? Eyes up front, ears open. You need to hear this. This matters. And he's going to say it three times. He's going to say three things to them. Guys, this is important. You need to hear this. And the first one starts in 19 and goes down verse 23. And notice where it ends in verses 22 and 23. The father judges no one, but has entrusted all judgment to the son, that all may honor the son just as they honor the father. Whoever does not honor the son does not honor the father who sent him. Jesus just tells them, the only way you get to God is through me. That's it. If you don't honor me, If you don't listen to me, if you don't obey me, then you have nothing to do with God. Now, can you imagine how those guys must have felt when he said that? I mean, we hear that and it makes us mad because it's like, oh, that's so exclusive. How can you say, how can Jesus say he's the only way to God? How can you be so narrow? Well, he can be because he just says it flat out. Guys, listen, amen, amen. You need to hear this. This is important. Everything you're doing to get to God, none of it is gonna work. There's only one way, and that's you honor me. Because if you don't honor me, you're not honoring God the Father. And that's not okay with him. You know, that, again, that makes us frustrated today. But isn't that how life works? I mean, can you imagine if the, so the elders are my bosses, right? They're, they're, they're an authority over me in the church. Can you imagine the elders coming to me and saying, Jeff, it's your job to preach, but... Oh, we just want you to preach whenever you want. We don't want to be restrictive or exclusive. You want to preach Wednesday at 2? That's when we'll have church. You want to preach Thursday at 6 a.m. because you have insomnia? That's when we'll gather together. We don't want to be at all exclusive. Does anybody have a job where your boss says to you, sure, do whatever you want, whenever you want. It's fine. Did anybody have parents like that? Do any of us raise our kids like that? We're all pretty exclusive in real life. Like, this is the way it is. I do not say to my children, I only care that you sleep. I don't care when. If you want to sleep from noon to 10 at night, that's fine. I don't want to be exclusive. No, they have bedtimes. You better be in bed by this time or there will be consequences. We are all very exclusive. Turns out God is too. God's not just out there like, sure, do whatever you want. All I care about is that you try. All I care about is that you're sincere. Trying and sincerity are great. But Jesus says, if you want to come to God, his first amen, amen statement is, you've got to come through me. That is the only way this is going to happen. If you don't honor me, then you are dishonoring God. And that's not okay. His second, amen, amen, hey, listen, this is important statement, is verse 24. Very truly I tell you, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life 
and will not be judged, but has crossed over from death to life. That's a really, really interesting verse because where he says will not be judged, it's not a future when John writes it. What he literally says is he will not be going to judgment. It's the word for walking somewhere. He won't be taking a journey to judgment. Why? Because he's been crossed over, which again, it's a verb of motion. It means you were going one way and you're going another. So they say that about the sun. When the sun hits the middle of the sky, it's been going up and then they say it's crossed over. Now it's going a different direction. Now it's going down. Jesus says, all of us are walking towards judgment and death. Everyone is on a journey from, to judgment and death. And Jesus says, if you want to get off that road, you must trust me. That is the only way off that road. If you trust me, if you trust God who sent me, then you'll cross over. You will have been going this way. Now you'll go this way. You were going to death and judgment, but now you'll go to life. We will put you on a different road, Jesus says. You're walking one way, but you can walk another way. But the only way you do that is me. You have to, he says, you have to believe him who sent me. You have to hear me. And then you can get on another road. Again, very exclusive and probably very anger producing in the people who heard this because he's just told them what you are doing is headed towards death. All of your good work, all of your study, everything you're trying, you are just walking step by step towards judgment and death. And the only way to another road is me. And then his third amen, amen statement is right after that in verse 25. Amen, amen. Listen, this is important. I'm telling you, a time is coming and has now come. Jesus says, it's now. Now is the time. If you want to honor the Father, you have to honor me. You've got to do it. It's now. You are on a road to death. If you want to get off that road and get on a road to life, it's now. It's not tomorrow. It's not later. It's now, Jesus says. And we are not told what their response to these were, but I can imagine nobody was happy about it. And they must say something to him because in 31, he begins to answer a common objection that people give to him. Now, we don't hear it. John doesn't record it for us, but other places he does and the other gospel writers do too. When Jesus says these sorts of things that just drive folks nuts, when he's like, you need to listen to me and I don't care what you think, I know what I'm doing, one of their common objections is, wait a minute, you are talking about yourself, that's not allowed. You must have witnesses. Because the Old Testament law does say that. You are not to listen to someone when they just say something. If someone just comes and makes an accusation or a statement, the law says, so in legal circumstances, you must have witnesses. If someone comes and makes an accusation, this person's done something wrong, this has happened, whatever, the law says don't even listen to them unless they bring multiple witnesses. You don't just act on what one person says. And the Proverbs, the the wisdom literature will say things like, you know, one guy says something and it sounds perfectly reasonable until somebody else stands up and explains it differently. You should always hear multiple points of view, the Bible says. So we know that people say things to Jesus like, that you're just one person. Sure, you can say that all you want, 
but you have no witnesses. So why should we even listen to you? And he says to them, okay, I get it, right? I'm witnessing to myself and that doesn't count. Let me explain my other witnesses. And he lists three other witnesses and wow, he gets more and more intense with them. He starts with John the Baptist. Says, hey, you all agreed John was a prophet, which they did. If you think back to the very first week of the series, we looked at John. Everyone acknowledged that John was a prophet. The first prophet in over 400 years And if you read some of the other accounts of John, because all four of the gospel writers write about John, he was a huge deal in his day. Again, the first time everyone agrees someone is speaking from God. Someone has prophetic authority to speak to us. It says the whole countryside, everyone is coming to him. Everyone in Judea, rich and poor, religious authorities, political authorities. It says Roman soldiers are coming to John. He is a superstar in his world. And Jesus says to him, what about John? You listened to John. You liked John. You thought John was great. What did John say? Again, think back. We read it. What did John tell people when he saw Jesus? That's the Lamb of God. What did John tell his followers? You need to follow him. John told his own people to stop following him and start following Jesus. Because that's what God was doing. When people came to John later and said, because again, John's, John's a huge superstar in his day. And they're like, um, your popularity is waning. <laughs> like Jesus is getting bigger and people are forgetting about you. We need to do something. And John looks at him and goes, of course he is. I'm a groomsman. Sure, I'll sit you down and make sure you're on the right side. And if you need a cup of tea, I'll get you something. And, but I'm not the groom. Nobody's here to see me. They're here to see him. Of course, everyone's going to him. Jesus says to these leaders, you all acknowledge John was a prophet, right? Well, then why don't you listen to him? Because he told you to follow me. And he did loudly and frequently. But of course, nobody liked that part. They liked the part, the other parts of what John said. Come be baptized for repentance. Oh yeah, great. Now, now follow him? No way. I'm not going to do that. Jesus points to John. Says, John is a witness for me. Then he goes on and he points to his own miracles. The things that he's doing. The works that my father's given me to do. The works that I'm doing. These testify that the father has sent me. Now we've talked about how John probably isn't chronological. We haven't actually seen him do many miracles yet. But throughout John, he will do things that people will look at and be like, oh my gosh, this is God. He'll heal a guy who is born blind. So he's never seen in his life. And Jesus will open his eyes and he'll recognize things. He'll know what a tree is. He'll know what people are. He's, can you imagine? He's never seen anything in his life. Like Jesus not only opens his eyes, he rewires the guy's brain because he can understand what he's seeing. You know, right now as I'm talking to you, All the sound waves are hitting you and bouncing back to me, but I'm not a bat. I can't close my eyes and echolocate and know where you are. It's all there. All those sound waves are coming back to me, but my ears aren't set up to pick them up and my brain's not set up to process them. Jesus opened this guy's eyes and he knew what he saw. He recognized things he'd never seen before. And the crowd looks at that and goes, oh my gosh, this is God. Like nobody could do that. Nobody could... Nobody could possibly heal someone who's never seen 
accept God. Jesus will raise Lazarus from the dead and the crowd will say, this is God. That's the only way anybody comes back from the dead. You look back at stories like Elijah and Elisha, other people that have raised folks from the dead. They are powerful, powerful men of God. People look at Jesus doing that and they're like, this is God. There's no other explanation. This is the power of God at work in a man. And Jesus says to these guys, why don't you believe any of that? Everyone knows the only way you do these things is through God. And then he starts to get a little pointed and a little personal. It's like, but you don't know God at all. You've never seen him. You've never heard him. You haven't the foggiest clue about God. Yeah, you study the Bible all the time, but you won't do what it tells you to do, which is come to me. You think that if you study it, then you'll have what it says. But as James will tell us later, it's not hearing something that affects us, it's doing it. We don't just read the word of God, we do the word of God. And then lastly, Jesus gives his last, his last uh, witness. He gives three witnesses. The third one is Moses. And again, this had to be painful for them because as he said, your hopes are on Moses. Moses created the nation. He, he took an ethnic group and he made a nation out of them with the laws, the courts, all those sorts of things. People are counting on Moses and the Mosaic law. And Jesus says, I'll give you another witness. Moses, Moses is gonna witness against you because you're not doing what he says. We got these two stories where Jesus interacts with people and then they respond. And they, both groups, they respond badly. You're the first guy. He gets what he wants. He wants to be healed. I mean, that's why he's hanging out at this pool waiting for the water to stir up and trying to, Toss himself in there and be first. He wants to be healed. He gets healed. And how does he respond? He doesn't seem happy about it. He doesn't seem grateful. He he seems kind of annoyed. And he's throwing Jesus under the bus. He's going out of his way to try and get Jesus in trouble. He got what he wanted. But he didn't get it in the way he thought. Jesus says, do you want to get well? And his response is, I need somebody to put me in that pool. That's how I'm going to get well. Jesus heals him in a totally different way. He's not happy about it. If you were here two years ago, almost exactly two years ago, we were doing a sermon series on stewardship and giving because we're trying to pay off the debt on this building. So we got a consultant and we worked these things out and I was doing this six-week series and if you know me, you know how uncomfortable I was about doing that because... The Bible does not say you have to give money to pay off the debt. If the Bible says it, wow, I got no trouble telling you to do it. I will stand up here boldly and tell you, the Bible says this, you got to do it, end of discussion. If you don't like it, talk to him, it's not me. Bible doesn't say we got to pay off the debt. I say we have to pay off the debt. Wow, did that make me uncomfortable. I mean, those were painful, painful weeks. We were in week four. In week five, we were going to pass out cards to everybody. You know, what will you give? How much can you give over the next two years? And then in week six, we were going to take them back up. I was so nervous about this that Tim was supposed to go to some family reunion something or other on week six, and I told him he couldn't go. 
So only time, the entire time we've worked here, that I've ever pulled the pastor card and been like, no, you can't go do that. You cannot leave me here alone on this week to do this. You must be here. I am so nervous and just like, oh my gosh, what am I doing? I'm telling people, I'm being a prophet. I'm telling people we have to do something. Like, ah, there was never a week five because Georgia locked down. We never passed out the cards. We never took the cards back up. I didn't have to do this thing I was dreading. How did I feel about it? No, I was annoyed. I was so frustrated. God, what are you doing? I was upset that I didn't get to do the thing I didn't want to do. Because I was expecting this. This is how we're going to do it. This is what is going to happen. This is the way God is going to provide for us. We're going to do this. And when God did this instead, when I got what I wanted, I wasn't happy about it. Because I didn't get it the way I wanted it. I'm just like him. I'm just like this guy. He got what he wanted, but he didn't get it the way he wanted it, it seems like. And so he's not happy. And then these these guys who question Jesus, and Jesus tells them things they don't want to hear. He tells them things like, yeah, the Bible, that's talking about me. Everyone listening to Jesus would have absolutely said John was a prophet. They would have absolutely said Moses gave us the law and we should obey him. They would have absolutely said the scriptures are from God. We must do it right up until it told us something we don't like. Right up until the scriptures told us something we didn't want to hear, like we have to come to you. That's not what we want. Don't we do exactly the same thing? I mean, we call this the word of God. We say this is God speaking to us. You want to hear from God? Here it is. Thousands upon thousands of words from God for us. And we say, yes, amen, Bible-believing church, preach it. And then it tells us something we don't like. We're like, I don't know about that. I don't think I'm going to do that. I don't like that. Okay, now please understand, I'm not talking about honest disagreements, right? Some of us think you should baptize your kids. Some of us don't think you should baptize your kids. Some of us think you should be dunked to baptize, be baptized. Some of us think you sprinkling is okay. I'm not talking about that kind of stuff. I'm talking about the things we read that we're like, oh no, I'm not doing that. That can't possibly be right. Because I decide. Is John a prophet? Yes. Should I listen to him when he says to go to Jesus? No. That's my decision. The scriptures say, this is what you have to do. No, I'm not going to do that. Are these the word of God? Oh, absolutely. But I'm not going to do that. I decide. It's my choice what I do with the scriptures. And when Jesus told these guys things that they didn't want to hear, like, yeah, Sabbath rules aren't about me because they're not about God. And God and I are pretty close. Wow. They wanted nothing to do with it. They wanted to kill him, which is, of course, forbidden in the scriptures. We decide. We decide. Okay, sure, this is what the Bible says. But you know, I don't like that page. And I don't like that verse. And oh, I'm not going to do that. It's crazy. I'm not going to do that. Let's read another book. We get what we want, but we don't get it in the ways we want it. And we're upset. We believe the scriptures, but not all of it. Because it tells us things that we don't want to hear. How do you respond to Jesus? How do you respond when Jesus does what you want 
in ways you don't want. Does things for you. That's not actually how I wanted it done. I mean, I know I said that. I know I said I didn't want to have to do this, but I didn't, that's not how I wanted to not have to do this. I know I said this is the word of God and I believe it, but wow, I don't want to do that. How do you respond? How do you respond to Jesus, to the scriptures? You diligently, Jesus says, you diligently search the scriptures. You think you'll have life in them. We don't have life because we we memorize the scriptures. We have life because the scriptures talk to us about God. We have life because the scriptures tell us about Jesus and we trust him. Everyone who trusts me, Jesus says, you are on a road to death. I will put you on a road to life. But you can't do it yourself. And you can't do it just because you try hard and because you're sincere. How do you respond to Jesus? How do you respond to his word? I'm gonna pray over us. Because what I've been asking God as I've been preparing this sermon is that he would speak to us about things he's done for us that we ought to be grateful for, but we're not because it didn't happen the way we want or parts of the scriptures that we know what the scripture says. We just don't want to do it. We don't like it. It's hard. I've been praying that God's spirit would be at work in us. So that's what I'm going to pray over us as well now. As I pray, just sit, just sit and listen in your mind. See if God says anything to you. See if his spirit has anything to say. You know, that's different for different people, right? I often hear scripture. That's how God talks to me. Scripture comes into my mind. Some people get impressions. Some people get feelings. Some people hear voices. However the Lord wants to talk to you, that's his business. Just sit as I pray over us. Sit and see if the Lord's spirit has anything to say to you. Is there, is there some place where he's done something for us and we ought to be grateful rather than unhappy. Is there something in the scriptures that we ought to be listening to, but we don't like it? Let's pray. Jesus, we, we, your people, we readily confess that we have all our own expectations. We, we, we sit in judgment of you. We say that you are God. We say that you are Lord, you are master And yet, just like you told those people once, why do you call me Lord, but then you don't do what I say? And Jesus, that is us. That is us. You give us what we ask for and what we want, but we are upset that you didn't do it the way we wanted. You you give us your word and you tell us to obey it and that things will go well for us. You will be pleased. And we say, well, sure, I'll do this, but not that. We sit in judgment of you and your ways. We sit in judgment of you and your word. Lord, we are sorry. We're sorry. We act just like these folks. We act just like them. You know that. That's what, that's what John said in here. You knew people. You knew everyone. You know what's inside us. Just like you told them, you know that we really care more for people telling us that we've done well than for you telling us that we've done well. You know that we really care more for the the transitory, visible things of the world, even though scripture tells us over and over again that it is the invisible things that are eternal, that matter. Jesus, forgive us. Forgive us that we act just like this. Forgive us that, that we do all of these things and we do it over and over. I read your word every day, I revere it and I tell other people to read it all the time. And yet still, so often, I sit in judgment of you. I decide what I will obey. I decide what parts I accept and what I don't. 
Lord, I pray for my brothers and sisters. I pray for me, for all of us. Jesus, make us people who are honest. That's what you talk to Nicodemus and the woman at the well about. Make us people who are honest about what we're doing. Help us to be honest with ourselves, to, to look at these things and say, yeah, yeah, I do that. Help us to submit to you, to, to accept from your hand whatever and whenever you choose to give to us, in whatever ways you choose to do it, and to be grateful. Work in us, Jesus, that we submit ourselves to your word. We do not sit in judgment of it and decide when it speaks to us. That the scriptures sit in judgment of us and the scriptures tell us the truth. Lord, speak to us. Speak to your people. Are there ways we're doing this? Because we don't want to. In our heart of hearts, we want to follow you, Jesus. We want to be your faithful servants. We want to do and be everything you call us to do and to be. Holy Spirit, we desperately need your help to do that. We need your help to be honest. We need your help to look at ourselves, to know when these things are true about us. And so, Jesus, we ask these things in your name because we are yours, because you are our master. We are your servants. I'm sorry we don't always act like it. We pray these things in your name, Jesus, for we are yours. Amen.